Howdy there, kind friends and neighbors. This is your old friend, Brother Mike Montgomery, here with three of the finest, well, maybe the finer, or just some, just fine, three fine guys. Elder Joe Holder, Ari Jerry, Elder Elder Jerry Ancy, and Elder Mark Rao. Three wonderful men to study the Bible with. And guess what, dear friends? If you think we're not going to finish chapter three today, yes, we finished it last week. We're going on to chapter four. Aren't you thankful? I know I am. And I've enjoyed our study. I hope you have too. And we ask for a continuance of your prayers on our behalf. I think the intention tonight is to take Galatians chapter four, verses one through what? Five, yeah. six, seven, Maybe. seven. If Maybe. we can, we'll see. We'll see. We may finish the fourth chapter tonight. Who knows? <laughs> Doubtful. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But we, uh, uh, we want you now seriously to, to think about us in your prayers. We, Please. we are very keenly aware of our limitations uh, I've said it. These brethren have said it many times. We feel like we're just in way and over our heads, but God's been very merciful to us. And I tell you what, it's a pleasure studying with men who are all yoked together, going in the same way, trying to do the best they can to help one another. Mm. Uh, it's just a blessing. It really is. I hope you brethren know that from me, from my heart. Thank you. Well, we're going to start with prayer. Brother Mark Rao, get ready, Mark. And then Brother Joe Holder will give us one of his elevated, uh, no, wait a minute, one of his levels. I I thought level or elevated. No, it's level set. Sorry, not an elevated set, a level set. And we're praying God will bless you, Brother Joe. <clears throat> He's blessed you in the past already. So we're going to get started now. So Brother Mark, lead us in a word of prayer, please. All right. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for another opportunity to gather together again and study thy word. Heavenly Father, we uh, need thy guidance in every single word, every single verse that we try to study, that we prayerfully look into with uh, thy spirit and thy grace guiding us that we would understand thy word, that we would be edified by uh, the study, that those that listen in would be edified, but most importantly, that thy name would be glorified and that the truth would be proclaimed um, with clarity, uh, with simplicity. And and we just beg that you continue to help us to do this and to continue to look to you for uh, guidance in all these things that we do. Continue to bless each of us and guide us in our life's paths. Uh, forgive us of all of our many sins. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Joe, we're praying for you. Go for it. Thank you. I've long observed from studying Galatians that the transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4 is, is artificial. Paul really continues the yeah. theme and the, the reasoning that he initiated in chapter 3 into chapter 4. The schoolmaster concept of chapter 3, basically a moral enforcer of young children ages 6 to 16. I believe we mentioned that in our last study. They're already children, and they are have reached a certain age in their minor childhood, and they're somewhat turned over to this fellow 
until they reach about age 16. When they become adults, they reach their legal majority and, and receive the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of adults in the eyes of the culture. And then Paul begins chapter four with a reasoning on minor children and adult children. It puts a very interesting twist to that theme, which we'll look at momentarily. As he moves forward from the schoolmaster premise, Paul identifies that the dominant principle that links us in our relationship and fellowship with the Lord is faith. And my friends, it's not mine and your faith, but it's his faith in us that enables and empowers that relationship. In Christ Jesus is the entire sphere of everything that happens in verse 26. It's not how people outside of Jesus get into him, but how those who seek to glorify him in their lives operate within him as his children. And if we truly embrace that lifestyle, we are we immerse ourselves into Jesus. We Put him on as we would put on our treasured wardrobe for the day. In both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul uses that precise symbolism that you put off your old wardrobe, put on your new wardrobe in Christ. He implies that in, in verse 26 and 20, 26 and 27. What does this new wardrobe, this new relationship look like? Paul defines it. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is no distinction. There is no segregation. There is no, I'm bigger because I am more important because of my racial distinction from you or my cultural distinction from you. There's neither bond nor free. Social status, economic status makes no difference. A child of God may be a pauper and homeless, or he may be a millionaire. In Christ, that means nothing. One of the most touching stories I ever read on this point was a very upscale downtown church. And in, in, in our culture, in our, in our time, was meeting on Sunday morning. All of the wealthy people in high society uh, attended this church. Just as the service began, a homeless man in rags walks into the building. And as he looks for a place to sit, everyone spreads and maintains their seat instead of making space for him. He literally walks up to the front and having no place allowed by the people for him to sit, he sits down on the floor. A wise deacon in that church sized the situation up very quietly, stood up, walked up beside the man. The man was had no shoes. So the deacon pulls his shoes off, takes his coat off, undoes, undoes his tie and sits with the man for worship service. There is no difference. What a powerful example to remind us of that. And there's no distinction in gender. 
God did not create man and woman to be in competition with each other and at war with each other. He created man and woman to, to uniquely and mutually supplement and support and help each other be better as the individuals they are. And that's what Paul's really saying. The ground foundation for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground for all God's children. And then he closes out the chapter and kind of wraps up everything in the chapter and segues for chapter four. If ye be Christ, Christ in the sense of your embracing him and immersing your mind, heart, life in him and identity with him, not immersing yourself in circumcision or in keeping holidays and, and observing portions of the law, but immersing your life and your, your faith in him. That connects you to Abraham, not circumcision, not the law. That identifies you with Abraham and his seed. He made the point earlier in this chapter that seed singular is Christ. We only link ourselves to Abraham and that unique seed of Jesus by that faith that is his and is anchored in him. And then we're heirs according to the promise, heirs of the blessing that God promised to Abraham in thee and thy seed shall all families and all or all nations of the earth be blessed. There's the foundation that segues forward. Now let me read. I'll read verse by verse or maybe a couple of verses at a time in chapter four. We need to put a flag here, brethren. We're moving to chapter four. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, a child under the schoolmaster, as in chapter three, differeth nothing from a servant. He's a child. He is born of the father and mother who are head of this household. But as, an, as a minor child, he differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors, schoolmasters, and governors until the time appointed of the father, the time of majority, the time when he transitions from a minor child to an adult child. How did Paul develop and apply this principle in this setting? Verse three, even so we, when we were children, minor children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When was this, Paul? Well, verse four might, through the back door, answer the question. But when the fullness of the time was come, the time when Jesus came was not accident or coincidence. It was a divinely purposed time. He came at exactly the right time. It was such a purposed time that, what, four or five hundred years before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit inspired Daniel to write about a prophecy that predicted the very time Jesus would come. Many Jews in the first century understood Daniel's prophecy and understood and believed 
that Messiah would come in their lifetime, and he did. Remember the old man in the temple in the Luke account of Jesus' infancy, when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to on the, the sixth, seventh day uh, to be redeemed as a male child. He saw the baby. He took him from Mary's arms. I often think, what did Mary think when this strange old man grabbed this baby out of her arms? She probably was ready to claw his eyes out unless the Lord said, Mary, it's okay. Don't worry. And as he looked at Jesus, the infant, Lord, now may thy servant depart in peace for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. When the time, the fullness of the prophetic time when Messiah was to come came, God sent forth his son. He didn't send forth something that became the son. He sent the son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Every blessing, temporal and eternal. Have you heard us say this before? Then you hear it again. Every blessing, temporal and eternal, must find its source, its fountainhead in the coming and the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might receive the adoption of sons, something Paul identifies, identifies in Romans 8.23 as the redemption of our bodies in the resurrection. And everything we enjoy in the blessings of God from now till then all come from him. Now, that's a, that's a brief level set compared to Joe, but I think it's sufficient. Brethren, it's now in your court. <clears throat> Swat, I hit it back. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful job. Never, never ceases to amaze me. I it was it. perfectly adequate, Jerry. Let's just stop right there. It, it was, was it was perfectly adequate. Oh, let's just say it was adequate then. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Very, really good, thought provoking. Go ahead, brother Jerry. <laughs> you know, brother Joe, and I, I know I, I I teased a little bit <clears throat> during the last session of how many Joeisms that um, you brought forth, and you were especially blessed. Well, you didn't leave us wanting to, today either. Uh, the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Um, verse 28, uh, verse, verse, uh, chapter 3. Um, I know we're in, ver we're in chapter 4, but I want to grab this real quick. And then Mark and Mike, you get ready. Um, I, I'm not sure that uh, <laughs> there's a time where uh, the, the comments that you made about this, this chapter and then the Joeism you put forth would be more applicable than right now. Um, to, to be in Christ, um, it's the loftiest stature you'll ever attain, <laughs> period. It, it, you can't go any higher than that. And we live in such a comparative environment uh, these days, and not only comparative, but judgmental, um, condescending one to another, elevating one above another. Um, it. It's tiring. It really is, and it's uh, it's it's a bondage uh, of sorts. So you start down that path, and it's very difficult to, um, to to come away from it. Even from a spiritual perspective, it's a very dangerous thing to enter into spiritual comparison. Um, 
and, and comparing yourself as a, a follower of Christ to someone else who's endeavoring to follow Christ. It's a, it's a dead end road, and it's very, very dangerous uh, to go down. The Jews certainly were uh, making uh, disparaging remarks, I'll say. They were, at a minimum, making comparisons where these Gentiles were concerned. And, um, and Paul taught um, aggressively against it, aggressively, because the identity in Christ Jesus removes that from, uh, from the dialogue. But, you know, an interesting thing, and I've thought about this. Um, I don't know if you all agree with me or not, but I think even the Gentiles had fallen into somewhat of a comparative posture. Something compelled them to even consider the false teaching that was coming their way, um, something moved them to that. And, and that, to me, that is in large part what is one of the dangers. But if we allow ourselves to enter into that type of a mindset, um, we, we've taken a firm foundation and just disrupted it altogether, which really lends right back to uh, what I'll write down is uh, a Joeism, the ground of the foot of the cross. Is, is level ground, all that we would understand that and, and, and embrace it in, in our lives and treat each other that way. That is what the Lord would have us to do. So when you said that, that jumped out at me. Um, I realized that we've got a lot of ground to cover in chapter four, but I think it's pertinent. Um, and I didn't want that thought to go with, without being said. So I appreciate that very much, Joe. Boy. There is nothing more needed today than for Christians to go back to that foundation. If, yep. if we represent Jesus authentically, we will practice that verse beginning to end. Yep. Keep the field level. Amen. <clears throat> Marcus Aurelius Raulius. Well, <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I like the fact, Jerry, that you went back and grabbed something out of chapter three, even though we're we're in chapter four, because I think it's it's definitely needful and applicable to uh, what we're looking at today in these first few verses of chapter four. Um, I do I do like the the whole thought. Of, uh, you know, the ground before the cross is level. That's that's a that's a beautiful analogy of of a truth of, of a biblical truth with regard to um, to several things, including what we're talking about today. The 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 Apostle Paul's usage of uh, can I say common terminology with regard to the heir when he's a child, a minor child, differs nothing from a servant, uh, as he says, though he be Lord over all, but it's under tutors and governors until the time <clears throat> appointed by the Father. I, I, I believe that the Apostle Paul is using this this particular analogy to explain to the Galatians that that you're not minor children anymore. Um, there's, there's no, how can I say this? There's no difference between you as a Gentile uh, born again, believer in Christ than a Jew uh, born again, believer in Christ. 
it's like you said, it's it's been leveled. We talk about Brother Joe and his level sets. Well, here's the here is the the epitome of level sets. It's what the level set that Jesus Christ performed on Calvary's cross. He leveled it all out. And and I'll try to avoid going to other places, you know, like Ephesians or Romans. I'm going to try to stick with Galatians four and and, and remain brief. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'll put it in my words, look, you are adult children, just like the Jews are. And when I say Jews, I say the believing Jew, just like the believing Jews are. Why are you trying to put a variance? In other words, why are you trying to unlevel the playing field? (laughs) That's great. Because that's. He, that's because that's what Paul's saying they were doing. You're trying to unlevel it. Christ leveled it, leveled it. I just got through explaining all of that in the third chapter. Okay, there's my reference to chapter three. All of that in the third chapter, I just got done explaining. Now, you're an adult, non-minor child. You have every right and privilege of the father that the father has bestowed upon you. You're not, you're not a minor child servant, just like a servant. Why are you trying to unlevel the playing field? Because it's like, you're trying to go back to being the servant, wanting to be a servant of the law, wanting to be a servant of uh, circumcision, wanting to be a servant of whatever aspect it is that you're trying to do. Jesus Christ hath done the work to level it, you need to stand on that level playing field. Sorry, maybe not a great. How about I take out the word playing? You need to stand <laughs> on that level field that Jesus Christ did and put away this stuff because you are adult children yep. and you're believers. Okay, I'll stop. Amen. I, <laughs> I don't ordinarily do this, but I think, you, I think he said everything we needed to say, Brother Joe. What do you think? <clears throat> No. May I interject one point? I'm sorry. I, in the haste of time, I mentioned that Paul's use of minor and adult children was unique, and I didn't explain the uniqueness. In Paul's symbolism in chapter four, every child of God before Jesus came under the law was a minor child. Yes. It was, it was a universal to pre-Jesus. When Jesus came, all the children of God born again are given the status of adult majority children. Why, as an adult child in Jesus, would you want to go back to your minority, go back to your childhood? Sometimes people talk about their high school or earlier time in, in school and say those were the good old days. They were the most miserable days of my life. Please don't let me go back. I don't want to. Okay, sorry. I should have done that in the level set. Yes, you should have. Yes, you should have. (laughs) But, you know, I have to say, Brother Mark, you said in a very few amount of words what, what I think needed to be said. That was really powerful. Thank you. That was great. Are you shocked that I actually said something nice about you? Are nice to you? Yes. Yeah, so nah. Thinking, who was that man, and where did he put Mike Montgomery? It's happened before in your weak state. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had supper yet. 
Uh, yeah, man, what a great point. Why now they're in their full majority. They've got act. They're they're fully uh, vested, right? Mm -hmm. Why go back to being like a, a pimply faced teenager, <laughs> which is what I was. Why go back to you know? You guys said, uh, Joe and Mark, I think you said we were all before Christ, Jew and Gentile. We were both, what did you say, low or under? Spiritual minority. We were children. May I May I just add to that? There were, there were advantages to the Jews that weren't to the Gentiles, even though sure. both were in the minority. And there was, uh, there were, there were, uh, Things were at variance. Things were at, things. Some were, were seemed to have a whole lot <clears throat> given to them, and didn't do much with it. And some who didn't have much given to them, tried to do the most they could with what they had. I sound like Paul in Romans two. Sorry, Romans two. I brought it up. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so, I love the fact of what Paul said about in Christ. There's there's no variance. <laughs> we're all on the same. Mm -hmm level and it's an it's a high level i mean it's yes. a very high mm -hmm. level but would i be wrong to say that even though there is neither jew nor greek male nor female that doesn't mean there's not male and females in the church it <laughs> doesn't mean that there's not <laughs> jews and gentiles as a matter of fact strangely as it may sound i think this is one of the greatest arguments in favor of the power of diversity in the church Amen. that i can imagine because we're all equal. That's right. Yeah. But all of us bring something unique to the to the church. We each have our gift that God gives us and and we, that God expects for that gift to be used in the betterment of the church or in the in the edification of God's people. Imagine if everybody was uh producing at the level maximum level of what God would have us to do. Because Mark's gift's not mine, Jerry's is not mine, Joe's, yours is not mine, and mine's is not yours, but we all have unique gifts. Our gifts are no less or no better, but it's unique. There you go. And we ought to be developing that gift to the best of our ability. But when we begin to say, you got to be circumcised or you're not good enough, there's that going back under your minority. And I, I just really appreciate that point coming out because I've always felt like the first five or six or seven verses of the fourth chapter, Joe, is really the, the logical conclusion of the argument from the third chapter. Right. So, so right. What, is, what, is he, what has he been telling us in the third chapter? Galatians, why are you doing what you're doing? What's, what you're doing is crazy. I know you're being told that's what you need to do, but just let's just let's just talk about this for a minute. Going to the, where you're going with the law, the works of the law, that's just taking you back. Backwards, uh, you're not going forward. You're not progressing forward. You're re you're in reverse. You're in full reverse, and you're not going to get where you think you're going to get. You're not going to get to where those false teachers were saying you were going to get. You know, I, I was thinking, what happens when you add to the truth untruth? What does that do to the gospel? When you add, yeah. It just turns it into the not gospel. Right. No matter how much you keep of the the gospel, when you add untruth to the gospel, right. it becomes not the gospel. That's right. And 
Paul made no bones about that in that first chapter. Well, <clears throat> we have in America today, we have people, I'm not going to mention the names, but we have people who call themselves Christian, but they have they have just overlaid Christianity with works, with all sorts of things. You got to be this, you got to be that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And you've got to do this because you're not going to, you know, Christ only did so much for you until you do these other things. You're not going to get these. I even heard it put like this. Christ died for you to go to heaven. But if you want rewards in heaven, you got to do something about it. Hmm. So it's just not enough to go to heaven. Now you got these rewards that are going, going on in heaven. And I don't mean to throw down on anybody. I'm just saying this. Paul fought the same kind of philosophy in Antioch and in Galatia, the same kind of problem, maybe different kinds of things were being said, but it was all the same thing. You add to the basic simplicity of the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, you're, you you get a mess. It's, it's a, it's a rotten stinking mess. And so, so if we, if we wish to enjoy that, which we should enjoy in God's kingdom and, and be that, which God takes delight in, I think that's even more important than what we get that that God is delighted in us. He, he's pleased with our service to Him. It must be on His terms, not ours. It must be focused on glorifying the name of Jesus Christ, and it must give all the glory to Him. And when when we say the finished work of Christ, that's what we mean. Yes. We mean Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation. We that's believe. Not- that Jesus, yes, that's what we believe. And I hope we never get away from that, brethren. I hope we never do. Because if we do, what have we done? We've just sullied something that was at the very best that it could possibly be. What do you That's guys right. think? What do you, brethren, think? You know, Brother Mike, absolutely. And, and everything has been said really tees right into the the last piece of the analogy or illustration that Paul uses. And he, he uses it. A word in verse three that I think is really important, and it, it mm. speaks to the problem, and that's bondage. Right. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the the opposite of bondage is liberty. And yep. I'm not going to tell you where he uses the word liberty. Get to it in a little while, y'all. Um, I'm trying to stay in chapter four. All right. I went back to chapter three for a minute. It's chapter I, five, verse one is what he's talking oh, about. Let the cat. <laughs> um, you know. <clears throat> You, you mentioned, Brother Mike, uh, the, the going back, the going backwards, going backwards. Um, if you ch- if you try to add anything at all to that which Christ has fully accomplished, you're putting yourself in bondage, yeah. in bondage as a child, a yes. child that has that really a child has has no voice. The, the maturity level is not where it needs to be. A child um, is a hazard to themselves with, without um, the guidance and the direction and the protection uh, of an adult. And if we are indeed, and that's an if of reason, not doubt, if we are indeed adults because of that, uh, spiritually adults, um, I know sometimes our natural behavior will cause you to question. The <laughs> Try not to be distracted by that. Um Spiritual adulthood, if, if that's truly who we are because of the work of Jesus Christ, um, to, to go back 
to a place of being a hazard to ourselves. I cannot imagine anything more detrimental to the cause. I can't imagine anything more dangerous uh, for, for myself. Um, and I don't believe the Lord will be pleased in it in the least bit. In the Ooh, least I bit. I agree. Totally it agree. came at the, the ultimate price uh, that one can give. And we rejoice in the eternal implications, if you will, or realities uh, because of the shed blood of Christ. Well, it takes the shed blood of Christ for us to live in adulthood spiritually while we're here in the world, too. Outstanding point. Outstanding point. What about this fullness of time, brethren? Uh, he says, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. As I understand what Paul's saying there, God, God sent forth his son when it when he was good and ready to send him, when it was at his instigation and not, not at it for any other reason. What Amen. what do you think is really going on when Paul what what's the point why Paul's making what, what is he making that? Why is he saying that at that point in Galatians? Anybody have a thought? It's key to the, the transition from minority to majority. It's key. We read it in chapter three. The law was added because of transgression till the seed should come. He came. God intended him to come at this time. Mm -hmm. It was the right time. It was God's time for him to come. That's good. Oh, brother! I, I remember in, in my childhood hearing radio preachers often, and, and I grew up in the, I was born in early in 1941. So I'm an elementary age in the late 40s, early 50s, and literally in fourth grade, our teachers were required to have the students hide under the desk, and we were told about nuclear bombs. In case the siren goes off, other than on test day, you get under the, the, the desk. I, as they described the power of an atomic bomb, I had to think, what will this tiny little student desk do to protect me? <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it's a crazy world. Where do we find the peace that, is, that, that delivers us from that? the fullness of time, God said, it's his time. And as I studied scripture as an adult believer, it dawned on me very quickly. The end of time will not be produced by man in atomic warfare. The right. end of time will be decided by God in the fullness of his time. Amen. For when Jesus came. Amen. We need that. We need that truth now today more than ever. Right. Amen. Amen. I mean, wow. Thank you, Brother Joe. The fullness of time, God sent forth the Son. So there's no doubt what Paul's saying there. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said that in uh, 2.22. He says, uh, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But he's talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mm -hmm. God sent forth the Son. I, I know maybe we could overanalyze this, but there's a distinction made between the Father and the Son. Amen. And then he's going to make a distinction between the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
it's he's not trying to prove the Trinity, but he proves the Trinity, in my humble right. opinion, in this section of Galatians. He does that right in this context. Yeah. yeah. Before yeah. before we get out of this very lesson, we'll have the Spirit being sent. The Spirit so you have the Father sending the Son, the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. Correct. That's uniqueness and unity together. Same as first John 5 7. Yes, sir. <laughs> Wonderful point. I mean, what a powerful section of scripture this is in Galatians. I know it's kind of a maybe a wrap up. It's a it's an application of all that he said, but he he's brought out that one truth that he hadn't yet, and and it's what why did he send Christ when he sent him? Why didn't he send him so, shortly after the fall of Adam? Why didn't he wait till the end of time? God sent him when he was good and ready to send him. <clears throat> Well, you know, Mike, Brother Mike, the, the word fullness really uh, kind of carries the thought of a, a completion yeah. of something, right? And I don't, and Paul hasn't left and doesn't plan on leaving um, the promise that he raised at, at the beginning. Now, that promise that God made had a, a can I put it this way, a beginning, a middle, and an end? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and Certainly the promise being the seed, which is Christ, um, things evidently, in, in, according to God, according to his plan, had come to a point of completion that the time was nigh to for the next step to, to take place in the promise. And then the brother Joe's point, that promise is going to be triumphantly fulfilled <laughs> beyond compare. In God's appointed time. And oh, by the one, he's the only one that knows when that is. Right? Right. Uh, he's not sitting up there watching the, you know, the tea leaves or the moans or whatever, trying to decide, okay, well, I guess it'd be a good time. No, no, no. It's an appointed time. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Sovereign God. It, even the Lord, sure. even the Lord says, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brother Joe. Oh, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll catch up later. I was just saying, even the <clears throat> the Lord uh, signifies that when He says that no man knoweth the time. That's right. So there there is a time, and and I do think that in alignment with that, there was a time of a the the fruition of the promise to Abraham when Isaac was born. There was a time of fruition of the promise to the children of Israel when God heard their cries by way of their there taskmaster. Was. There was. Daniel got more than he asked for in his prayer. I love that, too. He he prayed for something, and, and the Lord says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to tell you when the fullness of the time is. Yeah. Right? Here's, I mean, wow. Here's the answer to the question you should have asked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I like that. Here's the answer to the question you asked. Now, here's the answer to the question you should have asked. That's good, Mike. That's good. And it's all according to the uh, God's purpose, right? I mean, yeah. God's purpose and all of that. The that word fullness, brother Jerry, you mentioned about complete. Uh, it's like you know, I liken it to you know maybe a beaker that's being added to and it slowly fills up and when it reaches the that point when it reaches its fullness it tips over so the fullness had come and that's what happened when god sent his son into this world that fullness had come it had been it had been filled up it was the time appointed by the father and now it was 
go go into the world and redeem every last one that I chose in you before the foundation of the world. Oh, wow. You know, and let me say one more thing and then I'll, then brother Joe, I promise I'll stop (laughs) going, please. (laughs) Brother Mike said, you said a really good point with regard to knowing Christ and knowing Christ is to know Christ as the finished risen savior. So it's it's not to know a Christ, it's to know the yeah, Christ. That's right. And that's right. the the thought came to my mind yesterday while at while at church about Paul's statement, I know whom I have believed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's one thing about believing, but there's also knowing whom we have believed. Knowing whom we have believed is knowing that he is a finished work savior. That yeah. he is a finished work, risen Savior, and that's how. And and can I even go on to finish the tenth verse of Second Timothy chapter one? And yeah, I am persuaded shall. that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. How else can we be convinced that he is able if we don't know who we believe? That's right. Ooh. And only, I mean, by the way, only adult. Children can know who we believe. Hey, man. Okay. All right. I'm done. That needs to be turned into a song. I wish we could sing a song with that as a verse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Mark, there's one I thing missing from, from everything you said. A giant exclamation point at the end. Wow. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Here's my thought. It's not circular reasoning. No. The right. Fullness of time and to appeal to fulfilled scripture. Who's the author of that scripture that was fulfilled? Mm. Daniel 9 may be the only prophecy that really anchored itself in the time factor. And when Jesus came, it was not the, the 69th week and the 70th week suspended. He fulfilled the right. 70 weeks. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's the fullness of time, not the fullness minus a week. Right. And Amen. then you go through all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. At the time Jesus came, all of those prophecies, everything necessary leading up to Messiah coming had been fulfilled. And oh, God put a mark in his calendar. This is the appointment. This is the date when my son comes into the world. Right. So it all It's all fulfilled on that time, not later. And when he came, he changed everything. Yes, he did. <laughs> he, did. he did. He changed everything. Ugh. Well, that ties back to uh, where he says he, the, in the... Third verse of the first chapter, it says, uh, "He he uh, he he was made a ransom to deliver us from this present evil world." I, I didn't. I'm not getting it right. He gave himself for our sins that I that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Mm. Amen. Yes. Amen. So Jesus came in the fullness of time to rescue us 
from this time, I guess maybe yes. this present evil age. Is that is that a right way of putting it? That's the right yeah. way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. I thought about Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. Mm. Hath in these last days spoken mm. unto us by his son. And I know we tend to think of that as the end of the Jewish dispensation or the Levitical law dispensation, but it was the end of a world yep. in the sense of an age. It was the end yep. of an age. And mm. now we we have this age. I don't know how this will go, but we have this present age in conflict with the age to come, which is right now. Does that make sense? I mean, the age, <laughs> the age that we are to be saved eternally to is in essence broken in on this age. It's it's invaded this age. Could I could I say it like that? Yeah. So, somebody yeah. help me out. I'm trying to say something I really don't know. Well, wouldn't you say that that's a good point, Mike? And wouldn't you say that this age is the age of last days? I think I mean, so. And yeah, I think so your point time. is well taken. Yeah. I know there's a last day of the last days, and we haven't right, reached right, the last day right, yet. Right. And these are the last days. These yeah. are the last days. Right. This is the last age of time. And then I think there's something called the the world without end, which is the age without age, the ageless age. Right. Well, you know, Brother Mike, to your point, the, the infiltration, as you put it, yeah. <laughs> of the age to come to the age, we are beneficiaries of having the earnest. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. We are blessed to have it because of that. How, how thankful we should be. All right. God bust in on this age, didn't he? he I'm here and I'm not. Yeah. Uh, Gary, Gary, that's a micism. Add it to your list. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is the micism? I need to write it down too. So I say to remember it like... you have to write it down. <laughs> Mike, Paul, Paul made the point for us. I love this. And you you your thought and your your struggling pointed me to it. Second Corinthians four, the last two verses. For mm. our light affliction, which Ooh. is but for a moment, worketh for us a far exceeding, a far more exceeding, and eternal weight of glory. That's not reserved for when we die and go to heaven. What's the next verse say? While we look, eternal weight of glory invaded. Our present vision yeah, when we that. look not that. at the things that are seen, but the things which are not yeah. seen. Right. Of course, they, of course they, that's what I was I trying to say, it. Joe. Thank you. Of course, that was what that I was trying to say. <laughs> Very well said, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it just took Joe to kind of help me think it through, of course. And thank you, Joe. You're such a great friend. Hey, we're we're but, a team. But we, we are able, uh, Jerry, you're right. We have the earnest of what is going to be in full later. Mm -hmm. So that means whatever is later is now for to to the extent that we're allowed to have it. Yeah. In the here and now, we have the there and then in the here and now. Maybe that's that's a a, a way of putting it. But that's what I feel like in church when it's really specially blessed. Don't you? I kind of feel like I've been taken out of this time and out of this geography. And uh, made to sit in heavenly places. Uh, and I know that Paul uses the heavenly places in Ephesians to mean heavenly, heaven. But there's one place I think he we can say he means in the spiritual sense when you're being blessed with the presence of the Spirit right. of God. Amen. Right. My friends. Yes. Amen. Well, that's one. 
That's good dialogue on the fullness of time. Do we dare go forward in the verse? <clears throat> go ahead. Made, made of a woman made under the law? Yeah. It didn't say became. Uh, it said made of a woman. I remember Charles, Elder Charles Sandage saying this one time. I, I misquoted 2 Corinthians 5.21. I said, <clears throat> uh, he, he became sin who yeah. knew no sin. Boy, don't he said, Brother Mike, it doesn't say became, it says made. He was made. You know what? He was absolutely made wrong. To be said, yeah. there is a difference between being made and becoming. Sometimes they may seem like they mean the same, but Christ didn't go through a process to be to you know what I mean. He was made of a woman. What what are we to make of that? Virgin birth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unique in all of humanity from creation until that moment and for all time to come. It only happened once. So the, the divine son of God was made to be a human being, right? I mean yes. that's and, yes. and was still the son, still the son of God. Well, when when I think of that, the 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 thought of the condescension um that that Christ uh, freely <laughs> partook of is is mind-boggling. Oh man! Oh, As man. we sit here today, um, I don't know that many of the four of us would be interested in voluntary condescending from where we sit today. I, I, I mean, our our nature is to ascend. You know, we want to to get you know go up. Not to that level. We wouldn't. Oh, We'd man. everyone refuse, Jerry. No. We'd everyone refuse. No. Scripture. We might for a good man die, and might peradventure for a righteous man even dare to die. That's right. But we right. wouldn't die for people we thought were lower no. than us. Especially you know, the our Bible, The Bible instructs us to have a mind of, of condescending before one another, and we should do that. As, as our we, carnality wrestles with it. It all of the, it ever. Yeah. So, it's hard for me to condescend to Mark Riles. <laughs> I have, I actually have no problem with it, Brother Mark. Amen. Um, it's even harder for me to get to your level, Jerry. That's the <laughs> you know what? Hey, listen, if you just turn left and head down, you'll get here eventually. There you go. Uh, but you know, what? just think about, think about the condescension of the Lord. And um, it's impossible. Bible says that the lower parts of the earth, I think that does mean the virgin birth that has that in, in, in mind, but he took a nature upon himself and he did it with specific purpose. And I'll tell you, I, the, the more I think about it, the more I feel to be a beneficiary of, uh, of him being willing to take the nature that he took because I can go to the Lord and I know he's, he's acquainted with my circumstance. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't even hesitate yeah. about it because, because I know he's acquainted with it. Amen. And and that makes good sense. We don't we would not look to uh, someone with a certain expertise that wasn't in keeping with what it is we need. We, we go, we need we have a plumbing problem. We go to a plumber. Uh, I guarantee you the problems that we have in our life. Christ is fully able to secure us because he has he has endured those. And. What a what a what mercy, what wisdom <laughs> that shown by God, and what a blessing to us. What a blessing to us in, in our lives today. Um made of a woman. I uh, there's so much contained in that. 
Uh, you know, the seed I, of the woman. I think about that. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, yes. Yeah. And Brother Joe, you hit the nail on the head, the virgin birth. I mean, the, how much can we talk about that? Um, and how much effort has been made to try to uh, uh, undermine that uh, down through time? Oh, without it, we're, we're, <laughs> we're done. Yeah. You, you know, you can take that condescension to the to the salvation and eternal side but but scripture also takes it to the practical yes as you were talking i thought about paul in hebrews we have not an high priest which cannot be touched by the feeling of our not our strong suit our strong faith the feeling of our weaknesses our infirmities literally grammatically we have a high priest who cannot not be touched right. by our Those double negatives, you got to love them. <clears throat> Powerful. And, and that goes right to the condescension. Yes, sir. It does. Oh, boy. And then in, in Hebrews 2, he says, he took not on him the, the nature of angels. Right. But the right. Seed, seed of Abraham. Of Adam, no, seed of Abraham. Right. Yeah. Here a little bit of election in that verse. <clears throat> that goes, but almost goes to chapter three in Galatians, doesn't it? It kind of <laughs> does. <laughs> or it, it, it weaves itself right through. Oh, it it certainly does. According to that promise, <laughs> it weaves it right on through. Well, we have so much more to say, dear friends. Joe's got, he's bubbling up. Mark's got two knees hopping up and down. <laughs> and, and Jerry... Jerry is about to uh, tear all these pieces of paper in his hand and throw them up in the air and say, Forget about it. I was just, you know, but I've enjoyed this session, yeah. brother, and I really have. It's been a blessing for me and to you at home. I hope it's been a blessing. So I, we're going to have, we're going to give us a little bit of a closing thought. And we always like to start with Brother Jerry. So this time I'm going to start with Brother Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was really looking forward to hearing what Mark had to say right now. Well, let's just pray for him. <laughs> Absolutely, pray for him. Thank you, thank you. Closing closing thought. Um, you know, it's actually, I, I probably don't have as much of a, a central or single thought on my mind um, by way of closing, other than than to say the language that Paul uses here as we're going into this fourth chapter, um, and this is just the beginning of it. It brings it to a really personal level. It, it's the language is personal. The language is illustrative. Um, it, it, with some help by the Lord, it's, it's easy to apply and, and to, to follow what Paul is saying here. Um, and I love how, how Paul holds context throughout this entire letter. It does not allow us to look at these things in a vacuum. They interweave with each other. You, you notice that when every session, er, probably every one of us, except for Mike, I know Mike's perfect in that way. We always reach and grab something from the back or we jump to the forward. Yeah. Um, that yeah, is the, that. the nature of the letter. That's It's all interwoven. Sure. So let's be sure that we don't look at anything that we've already said or anything going forward that we, what we might say that, that Paul says in a vacuum, keep it connected. That's right. Paul- That's right. That's right. Good point. Excellent point. I need to keep that point in my mind all Me the too. time. Me too. Me too. I sure Especially the Marcus guy who always talks about context needs to keep it in mind. 
Hey, who do, who's Dr. Context on these uh, study sessions? Yes, there yeah. he is right there. Okay. And I sure hope, Brother Mark, you got something to say. I do have something to say, Brother Mike. Thank and you. I appreciate I appreciate the context. Um, uh, the context nail driver. How about that? Yeah. That has that has I've always I've always understood context since I've understood what the scriptures were saying and how important it was. But I think the more I go into it, Brother Joe, the more I realize that context transcends a handful of verses. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it. I used to think, OK, well, if the context of Galatians chapter four, verse five, what's that context? Okay, well, maybe it's it's chap, you know, verse three, four, and five, maybe three, four, five. No, I begin to realize I got to go back, not verses, but chapters. <laughs> Where you know, obviously, oh, man, is right. is Paul transitioned from chapter three, verse twenty nine, and chapter four, verse one? There's no chapter break there. I mean, it just goes right into it. You're right. Or even, or like, what about the book of Hebrews? The context start begins, at least in my mind, the context begins in chapter three when Paul says, let's consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. That context doesn't end until he gets to chapter 10 and starts tying all That's of those strings point. together. I mean, how many chapters is that? I mean, it's six, seven, eight chapters. I don't Maybe know. 10. I was told there would be no math. Uh, so context is so key. And don't give, don't, don't say anything about Mike. He went back to the first chapter, brother Jerry. And that's his, exactly what I, meant. I did. I yeah. admit it. I did. Yeah. He went to the first I chapter. I'm so. sorry. Anyway. So context, how critical is context? So I know we didn't really touch on it, but I want to use Paul's words in chapter four, verse seven as a quick closing comment, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, how important is it for us to realize that we are not spiritual minors anymore, that we are spiritual adults. And it says, we're not no more a servant, but we're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So I move into that maturity in in a in a natural sense, and now I'm I'm an heir, and I enjoy the benefits of my heirship in the here and the now. Yeah. That's what brother Joe, brother Mike, brother Jerry. That's what all three of y'all talked about at some point in time during this this discussion. We are we are beneficiaries of our heirship in the here and the now. Amen. We enjoy that as long as we keep in mind of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the key. Because the Galatians had moved away from that, and they were like trying to go back to be those, those spiritual minors. And Paul's like, no, you're, you're an adult. You're a spiritual adult. Enjoy the benefits of your airship now. So that would be my encouragement to our listeners and to myself. Yeah, to me too. I take it as a very strong encouragement. And we turn now to our beloved Dr. Joe. Thank you. If a, if a if our interpretation of a given passage is correct, we'll find affirmation and harmony with other scriptures in other places in in the Bible. 
in Hebrews 11, Paul focuses on literally a countless number of Old Testament people whose life was transformed, dare I say, by the faith of Christ in their lives and their experience. They were children. They no less were members of the family of God than you and I. But if we apply the principle of Galatians 4, 1 and 2, even they were minor children. Look at the last two verses of Hebrews 11. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided, footnote, King James footnote, foreseen some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Their completion occurred when we became majority children after Jesus came. So it's affirmed even there by the Apostle Paul. Why go back? What a blessing we have in Jesus and him alone. We need nothing more. Amen. Wow. Yes, sir. I'm going to close by reading from Romans. But the 15th chapter. And I think this somehow, some way, ties up what we've just been trying to say really throughout the whole study. And this is Romans 15, verse 8. And I'm going to read down uh, to about the 13th verse. And I'm not going to comment. I'm just going to read it. Now, I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Man, isn't that, that's, 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 says it. I mean, that, what else do I got to say? I don't know what to say. You said it. God bless you. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. And we're going to ask Brother Jerry to close with prayer. Uh, Yeah, let us pray. A righteous and merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank Thee once again for blessing us to have this opportunity to come together and reason in, in Thy Word. Lord, we thank Thee for the leadership of Thy Spirit. We're so thankful, Father, for the things that Thou reveals unto us in thy word, and we pray, Lord, that we would take them, that we would apply them to the walk of our lives, to your honor and to your glory. 
Lord, as we have occasion that we would set uh, the right example before those that we encounter in life, that in all things and at all times that uh, we would uh, direct thy people unto thee, Lord, for we understand all good things come from thee. Father, forgive us of our sins and overlook our imperfections. If it be thy will, we confess unto thee that they are many. We just ask, Lord, that you would look down upon us in mercy, lead us and guide us by your holy and divine spirit. All these favors and blessings we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Say good evening to our dear viewers. Good night, everybody. Good evening. <laughs>